This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. We're back again this week with an exciting subject. I learned something new today, something I've been doing all my life, and we're doing every time we record this thing. It's called just-in-time learning. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm here just in time. <laughs> it's kind of a, a continuing theme in this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> uh, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> That's not true. We survived the whole summer again. Takes a lot of planning to get an episode out every week during the summer months. Trust me. Trust us. But luckily today we don't have to do it all alone. Indeed, we have a guest, a special guest. We have uh, Alexi, who's a a principal data scientist at OLX Group. Yes, we are dipping into, once again, one of Jan's favorite topics. And why do you always do all the talking? (sighs) What can I say? Well, don't say anything at all. What can I say? Don't say anything at all. Let's go to Alexi. Let's let him do all the talking. All right, let's do it. So welcome, Alexi, Alexi Grigoriev, joining us uh, as uh, someone to talk us through the wonderful world of uh, AI and ML. I believe you're currently a principal data scientist at OLX Group. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. So yeah, like, let's uh, let's get started by just. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you how did you get here? How did uh, how did you find yourself running uh, sorry writing the uh, machine learning book camp and uh, and what uh, what led you down this uh, this interesting path to today? I'm just wondering how <clears throat> how much back should I go? Like should I go to school <laughs> years? Maybe not quite. Right? Maybe not quite. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. Last <laughs> I, yeah last. Last journey, yeah, like maybe the, just a the, little bit. So I'm, yeah, so I grew up in a very small town. So I studied at university there. And then when I graduated, there was no jobs. So I moved to a bigger city so that all was happening in Russia. So I moved to a bigger city. Um, then I worked there as a Java developer. And I wanted to, to do something else. So I did the Java development for a couple of years. And then I thought, okay, like, uh, what should I do? Like in uh, university, I really like mathematics. And then I discovered um, this amazing course by Andrew Eng on Coursera, which was about machine learning. And then I understood, okay, this is the thing I want to do. But then the question was, how do I actually start working on this? And it wasn't uh, an easy, it wasn't an easy question because back then um, like the data science thing just started and people mm-hmm. companies would all want to have phds uh, people with um, who has physics or mathematics background so i thought okay like since i don't have it maybe i'll go try to get a phd too i didn't have masters so i started with masters and after two years of masters so i ended up in berlin where my masters was and after graduating I realized that actually PhD is not needed. Companies don't care about PhD anymore. So all they need is just, you know, more like um, practical knowledge using the yeah, real world experience. Exactly. And this is um, how my uh, professional journey in data science started. So it was um, seven years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And since then I've been working as a data scientist uh, and uh, I was doing like at school, at university, it was mostly theoretical knowledge. 
um, but then at work, um, like most of this wasn't needed. And uh, I thought, okay, like, um, but how to actually learn? Like, what's the best way of learning? And then I realized that for me as an engineer, the best way of learning is doing projects. So you, mm -hmm. you focus on, like you have a problem that you need to solve, you focus on solving this problem. And if you don't know how to solve it, you go ahead and find a way to do this. I think it's called just-in-time learning, right? So <laughs> you think this is what you need to learn, so you just go learn just enough to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, this brings me to the question you asked about machine learning bootcamp. So this is the book I wrote a couple of, was it? Or when did I actually finish it? But I started writing this book like three years ago, maybe mm -hmm. four. It took quite a bit of time. And for me, this book was an attempt to understand how I as a, an engineer actually learned uh, machine learning and how I started being useful. And uh, this was through projects. That's why in the book, I focus on learning machine learning by projects, by doing projects. So it starts with uh, each chapter starts with a problem description. Okay, like imagine that we are an online marketplace that sells cars and we want to help our sellers to determine the best price for their cars. Right? So this is like the problem. So we want to somehow build a thing that looking at the car says this car costs 10,000, for example. And starting from this problem, we develop a solution. And then at the end of the chapter, we have a model that uh, predicts the prices of cars. And then we learn all the theory, all the, well, like everything we need to arrive there while actually building this project. So this is how the book is structured. And there are like 10 chapters, I think, well, more or less, yeah. And each of them is structured similarly. Like, okay, we have a model, but how do we go about actually deploying this model? And then there is a chapter about taking this model, packaging this in a Docker container, and then deploying this to AWS. So that was the idea. Uh, and yeah, it took quite a bit of time to actually write this mm. book. And uh, yeah, but I think last year it went out. Yeah, I actually forgot what you asked. Am I still answering your question or not? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you are. You are. Like, is is the like because you've been in the like the data science sort of um, ML world for a while now, though. Like, how how do you think the 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 world has changed? Like, how do you think um, you've seen the evolution of of things over the last you know seven plus years? Um, so when. I became interested in machine learning. It was 10 years ago. It was 2012. Mm. So when I became interested in this, people only cared about credentials. Like, are you, mm. do you have a PhD? Have you published papers? When I graduated, it was 2015, when I started looking for my first job, full-time job, mm. then uh, there was already a bit of focus on practical aspects like okay but have, have you actually uh, done something similar to what we need have you done any projects mm. and now i think the focus is even more on the engineering aspect of machine learning than before mm -hmm. so because um i i think my interpretation of this is companies understood that just theoretical knowledge is not enough we also need to actually take the thing that we develop and then start using this and not just yeah. start using this but it has to be reliable 
we have to monitor it. We have to like follow all the best engineering practices that uh, developers uh, have had for ages. But for yeah. us, data scientists, it's all new, right? And we are now adopting all these things. Maybe you heard about this thing called MLOps, which is basically yep. DevOps, but for machine learning. And uh, so it's about adopting all these best practices that developers uh, have and applying them to machine learning settings. So this is uh, rel still relatively young um, industry, I would say, um, this uh, data science, machine learning. But yeah, it's already like we went through a couple of stages understanding what we actually need. And now there is a lot more focus on engineering. And we see clear separation of roles. While previously a company would just hire a data scientist and then they would tell him, um, tell them, go, well, like here's the data, go figure out what to do with this, right? Mm. And um, oftentimes this data even didn't exist. So they thought they have something, but uh, didn't exist. So that's why um, the industry companies uh, and people realized that we also need data engineers, people who actually prepare data. So data scientists can go get this data and start building these models. And we also need machine learning engineers, uh, people who then work with data scientists to take their models and deploy these models in production, use things like Kubernetes and all these things uh, to make these services actually reliable. And then there is this thing called MLOps, which is about uh, you know following all these best practices from the development world. They are slightly, or not slightly, some people will argue that this is a completely different thing. This is totally not DevOps, but uh, in practice, what it means like we just have to have some sort of process, have to have some sort of tools and understand how exactly we should go about, uh, you know, uh, productionizing models, um, what are the best practices there, how we should structure our code, uh, what we should do if something breaks, um, like all these things. Uh, so they became a lot more important right now. And yeah. yeah, so we are here right now. So the engineering aspect is quite important. But uh, what I think is interesting, another trend um, that I see now is about no-code tools. Mm -hmm. When you can do some machine learning without being a good coder, without being a good developer. So let's say a product manager or I don't know, a data analyst, they have some data already, they have some access to data, so they can take this data and already build something useful with this data without getting help from data scientists or ML engineers. This is interesting. I think this is getting some traction and um, maybe in five or 10 years, so this will be like a big thing Who knows? The, the sort of this journey towards um, towards no code is is I'm guessing is largely driven to sort of maximize adoption to sort of give that sort of functionality make it available to to more people to more organizations for further people to integrate that technology within whatever it is that they're doing like sort of if I think back a little bit to maybe five or six years ago, like almost everything was ML washed, as I would call it, like everything, like didn't matter what you were talking about. Cornflakes had ML and AI in them. Like every, every single product out there had some sort of element of machine learning, AI or data science in it. But it, it feels like the, the hype wave has maybe has died down quite a bit. And now we're in like the, just like the, the quiet, 
continuous like evolutionary work is that is that does that sound fair i i think it, it does yeah so if you think um i don't know what is your opinion about gardeners uh, like uh, gardeners report in general <laughs> i see mm -hmm. you're smiling mixed. Uh, but uh, <laughs> definitely mixed <laughs> like um you have this maybe you heard about this gardeners hype cycle or whatever yeah and yeah. Uh, they would place like a buzzword on this um, curve on this uh, chart i do not uh, like i like when i see some of the things the way they put uh, they don't always make sense to me personally sometimes it feels mm -hmm. like you know you just throw spaghetti to the wall and see what sticks <laughs> and then based on that you assign but what is interesting about this thing is the actual chart right so it's like mm. first uh, it uh, like the hype grows right and then they speak and then it goes down and then it's like uh, down 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 and then it slowly 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 goes up so i think what happened with machine learning is it was on this peak and now it's getting you know more mature so now it's entering like well, this phase when it's getting adoption people understand when to use it, when not to use it, when to put this to cornflakes, uh, when not to put this into cornflakes. And yeah, so I think we're in this uh, area. And I think what happened quite often in these times is people would actually have a bunch of if statements, companies. So like, I don't know, um, if X is more than 10, then I don't know, predict this. And they would call this AI while it's actually, you know, just a bunch of statements. Um, so now, like, you wouldn't say that this is artificial intelligence. But yeah, I think it was quite popular to say that we have AI, but it's just a bunch of rules. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll definitely uh, touch on that a little bit later, I think. But so what, who do you, like, what types of organizations are, you know, actively using uh, ML and, and AI today? I think all internet companies or most internet companies do this. Mm -hmm. There is no reason why they shouldn't do this because they already have data. So all the users, let's say you have a website, some e-commerce e website, and then people come, they click, they buy things. I don't, like there is no reason you shouldn't use this data. So you have all these clicks, you have, you have all these purchases, you just just start using this and then build the recommender system. There are actually out of the box solutions that you mm -hmm. just plug mm -hmm. into your whatever system you have, and then out of the box you have a recommender system. Um, yeah. So here in this situation, if you are in an internet company, it's fairly straightforward the way you collect data, right? So you install some sort of tracker on your website, right? Every time. Um, some event happens, then this event is saved somewhere in your streaming system, and it ends up in your data warehouse and all this. So then like all this is kind of, you know, have been implemented many, many times. And so in internet companies, uh, usually uh, they're mature enough to have machine learning there. And many companies, startups already start with data scientists in their, among their co-founders or maybe they hire data scientists quite early, like after first year or second year. So in general, it's quite, uh, like it gets quite wide adoption, I would say. Mm. But there are other industries where it's totally different. And these industries like, I don't know, manufacturing or something else, were getting 
data when recording data is not as easy. So imagine that you have mm. some sort of conveyor belt um, in manufacturing on a factory, and then you need to assembly uh, assemble something, right? So collecting data in these settings is a lot more difficult. You maybe need a person who takes notes or I don't know some sort of camera that. Uh, so it's a lot more expensive to actually start collecting data and start using the, this data. So in these industries, uh, it's only, I think, starting getting adoption. Now, mm. There are a few good examples, like there are startups that uh, are trying to uh, disrupt uh, manufacturing, or they are already doing this. Mm. Yeah. So basically, internet companies, quite wide adoption. Um, mm. Smaller companies, yeah, maybe not so much. And um, also, like, if you think of about in general, like usually big companies, big enterprises, they have, um, I don't know, some processes, right? And then in these companies, it doesn't matter if it's an IT company or not. And these companies, they can optimize some processes already using machine learning. But again, the question is like, how easy is it to get data? And in old companies, it's very difficult usually. So that usually yeah. the question is whether you have data or not. And if you have, yeah. then you, you have machine learning usually. Yeah, it's. I think it's also changing a little bit with ML, with the no-code tools coming up and being more and more embedded. I think we should make a distinction between using ML and doing ML. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the internet companies, they've been playing with this for a longer time and they have data scientists and actually are building models and doing things. While the retail manufacturing, uh, the disruptors, they typically have a application, solution, whatever, that has some ML built in that is easy to use, consume. Is that still doing machine learning or is that just consuming a solution at that point? Uh, what difference does it make for a company? Uh, the people. Uh, do, you need people. A do you need a data scientist if you're uh -huh. just using a application that has some anomaly detection in it? Or does yeah, some... Probably not. Like you probably need domain experts who can operate this thing. So let's say if you build your system for, I don't know, let's say you, you are, I don't know, you have a um, chain, uh, like some sort of logistic operations, right? So you need to deliver some things to somewhere and you want to buy a system that optimi optimizes this supply chain, right? Um, do you need to know machine learning to understand how, how exactly it optimizes your supply chain? Or you just need to, an expert to understand how we, how to use this system and how to make sense of the recommendations that the system makes. Uh, yeah, probably just uh, the second, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always, that's me personal. I hate using black boxes because if mm -hmm. I have to make decisions based on computer says one or two, I kind of want to know where the one or two came from. Mm -hmm. So having that insight, or do you need a data scientist for that? Maybe a data engineer is sufficient to have that insight, but still, uh, yeah. So probably the question of UX and uh, like your user experience and your user interface, right? So did this company that provides you this uh, solution, did they take care of explaining the recommendation? <laughs> so for example, imagine that you have, uh, I don't know, some sort of content management system. So let's mm -hmm. say you have a website and then some people post uh, some content on this website, right? And then it works all well until spammers come and start uh, putting some pornographic images or, I don't know, trying to, to sell or scam, to sell something or scam people or whatever. So then you can implement some sort of content moderation system. So instead of just publishing everything, 
you would have people to look at these things and then uh, you know understand if you should uh, publish it or it's spam you shouldn't mm -hmm. publish it and then with people you collect enough data and then you start at some point automating it with machine learning right and then um, sometimes you can say okay this looks suspicious to a person to a moderator because your machine learning system says so and that person thinks okay that that's actually not suspicious please tell me why you think it's suspicious and then i will make this decision based on that so people still need this why when it's not clear like when if mm. if it's a pornographic image then it's clear right so you you see this you block this depends thing depends on culture yeah it depends <laughs> on culture right and website right so on some websites if it's okay to have this sort of content then that, that's okay right but in some on some websites it's not okay and then moderators have clear guidelines what to do in these cases mm -hmm. but in some cases maybe it's not clear and then the model should tell the moderator i think this is spam because of these reasons right because they mentioned uh, this word in the description right so and this is usually an indicator of spam and now with this information the moderator can actually be more effective because indeed like if they say something like advanced deposit is required then they would think okay mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it's actually, you know, not good content. It also kind of demonstrates how early days it still is, because if you look at the, the biggest companies out there, like a Google, a Twitter, I mean, YouTube spam is horrible. And YouTube oh, is starting yeah. a little bit on the automated spam checking, but it just doesn't work. Is it because they don't know how to do it? I mean, that's Google. They should be able to do it. If, if some company in the world, they should have, the, they have their reputation, they should be the ones that can do this. But apparently, it's a lot harder than it seems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the reason here is uh, if you're a spammer, there are many spammers, right? So let's mm -hmm. say you want to get through the spam filters. So you just start testing with your yeah. message. Okay, and then you system. see when it actually goes through. And then like you just play with the system, right? So you try to game, game it. And then eventually, if you have like a lot of people trying to game the system, they figure out how to go through and then they start exploiting it. And then for Google or whoever, it takes some time to understand the pattern, how exactly they exploit the system. And then they need to, like if it's a machine learning model, they need to somehow collect enough examples to show that this is actually wrong. So they are just trying to exploit the system and all these examples are wrong. So they need to collect or improve the data set they have. Then they need to retrain the model. And then they also need to make sure that the old examples that they had previously, they are still being blocked. So there is like a whole uh, process that probably takes, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks to do, to do that all this proper like testing. That sounds like how people do it. We got this machine yeah. learning magic now. This this this, this just <laughs> happens automatically, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And to imagine you go through all this process, so you it takes two three weeks to fix like a new kind of spam attack. You release an update, and then what happens the next day? Spammers find something new and they start mm -hmm. exploiting it. And then again, for you, it takes some time to fix the new problem while still making sure that the, all the previous cases are fixed. And then, so with each extra corner case, it gets more and more and more difficult to actually add more examples there. So I guess that's why YouTube now is uh, is horrible and horrible. And we're back. That's the end of the first segment of our interview with Alexei. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a really good conversation so far. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert: there's more to come. 
big thank you to Alexi for joining us for uh, well over a couple of couple of hours almost I guess mm -hmm. uh, a lot of content and uh, yeah next couple of episodes will be the continuation of this uh, nice story indeed so if there's nothing else from you take it away then that is all the time we have for today you can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We are on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell, you can comment and do all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at roaringelephant tag or send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. But until next time, my name is... Is it machine learning or is it just a lot of statistics? Dave? And my name is... I'm so happy I didn't go for that PhD, Jan. <laughs> we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.